Our guest today was in his third year of medical school when he was struck with a rare and vicious immune disorder, idiopathic multicentric Castleman disease, which strikes about 5,000 people in the United States each year. When knowledge about the disease was minimal, he helped create a broad-based initiative to address this knowledge gap. This is Clinician's Roundtable, and I'm Dr. John Russell. With me today is Dr. David Fagenbaum, a research assistant professor of medicine and translational medicine and human genetics and associate director of patient impact for the Penn Orphan Disease Center at the University of Pennsylvania. He's also co-founder of the Castleman Disease Collaborative Network, a global initiative dedicated to accelerating research and treatment for Castleman disease, or CD for short, and improving survival for all patients. Dr. Fagenbaum, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you for having me. So Castleman's disease, can you tell us in our audience a bit about Castleman's disease? Sure. Castleman's is a rare inflammatory disorder that involves enlarged lymph nodes, flu-like symptoms, fluid accumulation, and multiple organ system failure in the most severe cases. There are three subtypes, unicentric Castleman disease, where the enlarged lymph nodes are localized to one region of, of lymph nodes, and then two forms of multicentric Castleman disease, where there's multiple regions of enlarged lymph nodes. One subtype is caused by a virus, HHV8. The other virus is idiopathic, so we don't know what causes the immune system to become activated and what initiates the cytokine storm that causes all of the organ dysfunction downstream of it. So how are these patients going to present? Patients typically present with flu-like symptoms, possibly nausea, vomiting, and oftentimes they're thought to have EBV or, or some other acute infection. When those acute infection tests come back negative and the patients continue to get more ill, their flu-like symptoms uh, become more B-symptom-like and patients are often thought to have an autoimmune disease or lymphoma. And it's only when a physician thinks the patient has lymphoma that a lymph node is resected, and it's that lymph node biopsy that's looked at under the microscope that can have a histopathologist or hematopathologist think that someone may have Castleman disease. And once you get the lymph node, is it very clear to make that diagnosis, or do you need the right pathologist looking at the slides? You really need the right pathologist. There's a real spectrum of abnormalities you see within a Castleman disease lymph node. And it's a spectrum of abnormalities that you can also see in other disorders. Patients with lymphoma and autoimmune diseases can actually have some Castleman-like features within their lymph nodes. So the most important thing if a physician suspects someone has Castleman disease is to perform a lymph node biopsy and to have a hematopathologist that has seen Castleman's before review that lymph node biopsy and to look for the hallmark abnormalities in the lymph node, which are atrophic germinal centers, plasmacytosis, hypervascularization, and hyperplastic germinal centers, all within the same lymph node. One thing I guess I would step back and mention is that you should really begin to think this could be Castleman disease. It should be included in your differential of any patient with flu-like symptoms and with the beginnings of organ dysfunction, such as liver, kidney, bone marrow dysfunction, without an already uh, determined diagnosis. Certainly, in the setting of enlarged lymph nodes, it's important to take the lymph node out, both to look for Castleman disease, but also to ensure that this patient does not have lymphoma. So you have a personal experience with this. You were a third-year medical student when this disease struck you, correct? That's right. I was a healthy third-year medical student on the wards, never had any medical issues in my life. And over the course of a couple of weeks, I started experiencing night sweats and fatigue. I noticed my lymph nodes were enlarging. And um, I eventually went to the emergency room. And when I was there, they ran some blood work. And I was informed that my liver and my kidneys uh, 
were not functioning appropriately and that I had pancytopenias. So the emergency room doctor at Penn, where I was a medical student at the time, decided to hospitalize me and I, I became very sick very quickly. I went from having flu-like symptoms and some mild organ dysfunction to having a complete liver and kidney failure requiring dialysis, requiring albumin infusions, and complete bone marrow failure requiring RBC and, and platelet transfusions daily. Just to, to maintain and keep me alive, I was immediately transferred to the ICU where I spent about four months out of the next six months in and out of hospitals and in and out of ICUs and hemonc floors before I eventually received cytotoxic chemotherapy. But even before getting to chemotherapy, it was a long journey to get to the diagnosis. And so ever since that experience of being a patient nearly dying multiple times over a six-month period, and then finally getting out of the hospital. Uh, I've been laser-focused on trying to take down this disease, and I'm now a faculty member at UPenn where I, I study day and night weekends, all day, every day, to understand what is it that causes idiopathic multicenter Castleman disease and what are the immune cells involved so that we can more appropriately target and eliminate this disease. So you were in the hospital for several months at a premier medical center before they figured out what was wrong with you. How is that going to play itself out in Main Street, USA? The first step to make a diagnosis of Castleman disease is a lymph node biopsy. And a lot of Castleman's patients are very acutely ill when they present. And so there's this double-edged sword where patients are in the intensive care unit and physicians don't want to take them to the OR for a biopsy because they are so concerned about this unknown, undiagnosed illness. But at the same time, it's actually the biopsy that will get the diagnosis and can begin treatment to get the patient better. So I think that the most important thing, and actually um, I've just received a favorable review from blood for the first ever diagnostic criteria for idiopathic multicenter Castleman disease. We hope that that will be published within the next couple months. That diagnostic criteria was put together through several meetings between the top physicians, researchers, pathologists, all working together to come up with unified criteria and to come up with those things that clinicians should be looking out for so that they can suspect and consider Castleman disease. And as I mentioned, those are flu-like symptoms, liver dysfunction, kidney dysfunction, cytopenias, and things like hypoalbuminemia, elevated ALK-FOS, hypergammaglobulinemia. There's a few abnormalities that should increase your index of suspicion. And now, of course, everyone with flu-like symptoms and organ dysfunction does not have Castleman disease. But in those patients with flu-like symptoms, organ dysfunction, and multicentric lymphadenopathy that are not appropriately diagnosed with an autoimmune disease or an acute infection, those patients really need a lymph node biopsy because you need to rule out lymphoma and you need to rule out Castleman disease. And it's through a lymph node biopsy that a hematopathologist should be able to make the diagnosis of Castleman. And again, I'll mention the diagnostic criteria, which should be impressed within a couple months. And in that criteria, we delineate exactly the things that those pathologists should be looking for. So that to your point, Main Street America pathologists will be able to look there and check some boxes and, and make the appropriate diagnosis. So before you dedicated your life to fighting this disease and finding out everything you could, were there people really caring a whole lot about this particular disease that affects about 5,000 people a year? 
there was a lot of interest in HHV8-positive multicenter Castleman disease. Now, I mentioned there's two subtypes of MCD, and, and one is caused by this virus, human herpes virus 8, which initiates the cytokine storm and drives the whole disorder. The other type is idiopathic or HHV8-negative, where there is no virus that we can find, and, and there is a similar cytokine storm, but for an unknown etiology. Well, back in 1994, HHV-8 was found to cause at least some cases of MCD. And when that discovery was made, the entire field that was a pretty significant field for a rare disease shifted all of their focus to studying the HHV-8 virus. And the, the presumed assumption was, was that, well, everyone with multicenter Castleman disease must have HHV-8, and it must be that virus that's causing all forms of MCD. And what was so interesting, when I was diagnosed, I went to a top medical resource up-to-date, or actually my resident taking care of me went to the website and, and brought me a printout. And in up-to-date, it was not up-to-date because it said there had only been four reported cases ever of HHV-8-negative MCD, when in reality, about half of multicenter Castleman disease is HHV-8-negative MCD. And it was so interesting for me because as I read through the literature, and when when I got out of the hospital, every case report I read or seemingly every case report about Castleman's said, this is very rare. This is HHV-8 negative MCD. But what I found is that every week a new case report was coming out about someone with HHV-8 negative MCD. And what I realized is that, and through doing a systematic review, we found that, that there are about half the cases of MCD are HHV-8 negative. What we did is we shined a light on the fact that an entire field moved away from studying the patients that aren't caused by this virus and that have a similar phenotype, but no one understands the etiology. And so we've shown a light on it, and, and through this light, we've also been able to bring patients, physicians, researchers all to the table to work together to begin to understand what is this HHV-8-negative idiopathic multicentric Castleman disease. And it's both through research here at Penn, but also through a foundation that I started called the Castleman Disease Collaborative Network, which serves as a, as a gateway and, and a connecting point between all of these uh, various players. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. John Russell, and I'm speaking with Dr. David Fagenbaum about his battle with Castleman's disease. So your foundation, what are some of the breakthroughs that you guys have been able to do bringing all these minds together? Sure. Our earliest breakthrough came back in 2014 uh, when we found through a series of research studies and also collaborative meetings that the entire way that we were thinking about this disease really was, was upside down. So Castleman disease, if you read in the literature, is often described as a benign lymphoproliferative disorder. And, and what they're referring to is the fact that all of the lymphocytes proliferating in the lymph nodes are all polyclonal. So the idea is, well, they're not malignant, so they must be, quote-unquote, benign. It's confusing to consider it that way because the, the model in the literature is that these quote-unquote benign lymph node tumors secrete interleukin-6, and then interleukin-6 causes immune cell activation, which causes organ dysfunction. But what we found is actually the model was upside down. The, the proliferating lymphocytes that are polyclonal and are not clonal those proliferating lymphocytes are proliferating in a reactive fashion to the cytokine. So it's not a tumor secreting interleukin-6 that's then turning on the immune system. It's actually the activated immune system that's releasing interleukin-6 and other cytokines that's causing the lymph nodes to grow in the first place. These lymph node changes are reactive changes. 
And that was a really, really important breakthrough because, first of all, it explained why IL-6 blockade was effective and is effective in about a third to a half of cases. That's because the IL-6 blockade is upstream of the lymph node enlargement and upstream of the organ dysfunction. But secondly, it also uncovered the fact that this is an immune hyperactive disorder. It no longer should be considered a benign lymphoproliferative disorder, but it should be considered a hyperactive, hyperinflammatory disorder. And with that, now you can start thinking about what are all the ways you can modulate the immune system. Other than chemotherapy beforehand, we needed chemotherapy or IL-6 blockade. And unfortunately, that doesn't work for most patients. So this new approach of thinking about this as an inflammatory disorder, now we can, we can harness all of the drugs that target the immune system and target inflammation to consider them as potential rational targets for stopping multicenter Castleman disease. Has your research impacted you personally on how you're being treated with your Castleman disease? Yes, I'm, I'm actually on a drug that's directly based on, on our research, a drug that had never been used in Castleman's before that is approved to treat kidney transplantation, but it targets the signaling pathway, the mTOR pathway, that we found through our research here at Penn to be involved in the proliferation and cytokine release. So I sometimes refer to this as truly personalized medicine, where we've identified a drug that's based on my immune cell pathways that are activated that hadn't been used before that's currently working well. So what do you view as a future of the network that you've set up, the Castleman Disease Collaborative Network? I see kind of two really distinct goals and really important goals. One is to uncover the etiology and pathogenesis of idiopathic, multicentric Castleman disease and unicentric Castleman disease to understand what is it that causes this immune activation and how do you stop it. That's, that's number one. I feel very confident that the trajectory we're on, the studies we have in place, um, if we can get the right number of samples and the right collaborators on board, that we can answer the unknowns of the disease and that we can turn what is really a devastating disorder that kills about a third of patients within five years and another third of patients within 10 years of diagnosis, we can turn this disease into a chronic condition that can be well managed with the right immunomodulatory therapies. That's goal number one. Goal number two is to look at the approach we've taken for Castleman disease, and that's a disease where there was zero NIH dollars going into HHVA negative MCD. There was little interest academically and little interest from pharmaceutical companies beyond Janssen Pharmaceuticals who make the one FDA-approved drug. And we have taken a disease with little interest, few resources, and we've brought together all the right people, physicians, researchers, patients, loved ones of patients, and we've come up with what we call the collaborative network approach. I think this approach of bringing everyone together and then letting the experts and the community prioritize research in what we call our international research agenda is a model for other rare diseases. And it's taking um, what is typically in the rare disease space, rare disease patients like myself typically hope that the right physician will apply to do the right study at the right time and they'll have the right skill sets. But unfortunately, when you're a patient, um, you're not willing to hope and you don't want to wait for all those rights to line up. So with the CDCN, we've lined those up and we have made sure that the right researchers are getting the right grants to do the right research right now. So do you see this the model for other orphan diseases? Absolutely. I think that our steps are simple and they are straightforward. They're, they're common sense. When I tell people what we did, they say, well, isn't that how all rare disease research is done? And, and I'm disappointed to have to share that, no, actually, rare disease research generally involves disparate researchers applying for limited funding, and, and you have to hope that the researchers apply for the right projects that are really going to move things forward. Our approach is, is much more collaborative and much more directed, where we crowdsource amongst the community to determine what research should be done, 
and then we throw our resources directly at those high-priority projects. And we really try to take on this disease just like any company would try to take on a problem. So, David, if there's anyone out there who wants to contact and find out what your group is doing, how would they contact you? Yeah, so I'd encourage any Castleman disease patients listening in, any physicians treating Castleman's, or anyone who's just interested in learning more about our approach and what we're doing, to visit our website. That's www.cdcn.org. Again, that's cdcn.org. And we would love for you to learn about what we're doing and to consider supporting us, whether that's through contributing patient samples or through uh, supporting our research. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. David Fagenbaum, for joining us today to discuss Castleman's disease. I'm your host, Dr. John Russell. To access this episode and others in this series, and to download the ReachMD app, please visit ReachMD.com, where you can be part of the knowledge. We encourage you to leave comments and share this program with your colleagues. Thanks for listening.